So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. There are some moments in our lives that on the surface seem very insignificant, but later we realize that they were a landmark for us, a moment that sparked the change that set us on a course that would forever change our lives. And I don't think it's a coincidence that these moments tend to happen to us when the pressure is on, when our backs are against the wall, or when we are at a crossroads, especially in our businesses. Today's guest is Tristan Rillubit, owner of Real Auto House with multiple locations in the Chicago, Illinois area. One of these moments for Tristan was a promise he made to his mom many years ago. In this episode, you'll hear the amazing aftermath of how that one moment forever changed his life, his family, his company, and countless others. This is one of those stories that will impact your heart as much as your head. Stay tuned. Effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top-performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high-converting Google ads, traffic-driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Tristan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super happy to have you, man. You and I have known each other for a long time and you have a really cool operation but you also have a really cool story. And I know that you've been in automotive, you know, pretty much since you were beginning of an adult, but how you got there, pretty wild. And I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to. So I'm looking forward to you being able to share that and, and share some good stuff and some hard stuff, because I think a lot of people listening be helped by that. Sure. Absolutely. Love to share my story and love to uh, hopefully help someone down the road. Well, Tristan, for folks that don't know you, who are you? So my name is Tristan Ria Lubit. I'm actually um, from the Philippines, right? So I moved here when I was 14 years old and I started the automotive business. Didn't really know what I was doing. And, and now we do 3.5 million in sales with three locations and looking to open more down the road. It's amazing, man. So three locations. And what's cool about your operation is these are smaller size shops, 
but you are super profitable out of those smaller shops. Correct. You know, by being small, we are more nimble and more uh, lean. We don't have to hire a lot of people. It means lower overhead. Our shops are small, so lower lower footprint, meaning lower rent and lower expenses, lower utilities and stuff like that. So we were able to run 30% net out of our stores. That's pretty good, man. Yes, there's 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 some uh, pros and cons to that. And I'm actually leading to bigger stores down the road, but there are pros and cons to, to everything, right? So, but it is profitable. It is running well. There are some issues with staffing because being small. So if you just think about losing one person, if you have two techs producing 100K in revenue, you lose one tech, get sick, or something happens, right? That's 50% of your revenue. So we've actually combated that by adding some type of rotation between the three stores that we can move people around here and there and having an extra person like a helper um, to alleviate some of that for the meantime. And also got a heavy recruit, always have someone on the bench. Dude, that's super smart, man. I love the idea of you almost having this floater that just, you know, in a pinch, you've got somebody that can run in there. And that's really smart thinking. And yeah, I mean, small shops, super profitable, but definitely with it being so lean, yeah, there's some risk. So I love the way that you're mitigating that. That's great, man. Tristan, you started your first gig in auto repair like at 19. How long have you how long have you been in auto repair? Well, I'm almost 39 now. So um it's almost 20 years, right? It's just been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. You look good, dude. I didn't I didn't know you were 39. 39, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's dive into your story a little bit. So you actually came to the U.S. from the Philippines. How old were you? I was 14 years old. Tristan, so many people that I know in auto repair have come from other countries and auto repair is such a great industry to go in. It's such a great business to start because, you know, you really, you know, can start it without a lot of capital. You can start it without specialty certifications and stuff like that, you know, if you really are talented in it. So I'd love it if you would kind of break down what that looked like. You know, you got here. Did you come with your family? What were things like in the beginning? It kind of goes back all the way to World War II, right? My grandfather, and back in the day, and a lot of people don't know this, but Philippines used to be a commonwealth of the United States. And back in the 1940s, when the war broke out, my grandfather actually joined the U.S. Army and the Philippines. And this is the time when they knew the Japanese were invading. They just hit Pearl Harbor. They know the Japanese goal is to take over Asia. They were recruiting soldiers and my grandfather was one of them. Fortunately enough, he survived through the whole thing. He was in a prisoner of war camp and um, he survived through the whole ordeal, received the Purple Heart out of that and uh, became a U.S. citizen. He moved to Chicago for a little bit, for a short stint, and then retired back into the Philippines. Had a family and all of that. And my dad was petitioned by my grandfather later on. And uh, when he was petitioned, my dad was already married at that time and had kids. So the petition took longer. It took about 15 years for the petition to go through. And when the petition actually arrived and said, hey, you know, you guys are eligible to move to the States. I was 14 years old. And we basically uprooted our whole family and says, hey, this is a great opportunity. We don't know what's on the other side of the world, but it's the United States, it's America, it's a land of opportunity. And we uprooted our whole family. So me, my mom, and my three siblings, so there's four brothers. And we didn't know where to go, right? We didn't have any family in the States, so we ended up where my grandfather stayed last time. He stayed here in the States, was Chicago, so we ended up in Chicago. And growing up here, it's a total culture shock, right? It's totally different. 
actually, I didn't really want to be a technician or a mechanic because in the Philippines, that industry is kind of looked down upon, right? Any blue collar jobs looked down upon. They look up to the doctors, the lawyers, the engineers, and those types of jobs and careers. And so it was kind of ingrained in me that, hey, being a mechanic is probably not a not something you want to get into, but coming here, seeing how well-respected the blue collar industry is and how much money they make. And I said, man, this is a really great industry for me to go into, not only because of that, but, but I learned a lot from my father. My father was a pretty handy person. He's a technician as well, working vehicles in the Philippines and stuff like that. So we moved here. That was his thing. He didn't really work long-term in a shop. But what he did was he had a pickup truck. He filled it with tools and through friends and and people we know, he started fixing vehicles on their driveways. So he was kind of like that mobile mechanic, right? But, you know, it wasn't licensed or anything like that, right? It wasn't certified. So it was just kind of doing that thing in the side. And on the summertime, I would be his helper, right? So I learned and I liked it. I, I really liked the cars and I thought it was cool and I was into that whole racing thing and street racing and culture. So I really loved it, really spent a lot of time with it. And I graduated high school. I didn't really know what to do. And I said, man, I could do this. I'm really good at fixing cars. I'm really good at at this type of field, but I want something more. And I wanted to open the shop. I was 19 at that time when I opened the shop. I actually graduated early in high school. I graduated when I was 17 years old. Not because I'm super smart. It's just because uh, it's just because of the uh, in the Philippines we don't have seven uh, seven eighth grades. So after sixth grade, you, you go to high school right away. And I skipped a couple of years right there uh, when I moved here. They didn't bring me back when I moved here, so they just kind of continued on. After high school, I went to a local community college. I got my um, degree in the automotive field. I wanted to get that before I opened a shop because I wanted to be certified in all of these things. And I uh, went back to my dad and I said, hey, let's open a shop. This is the way to do it. And he said, no, um, if you're going to do it, you do it. And I said, why? And he goes like, well, me and your mom are separating. We're getting a divorce. And I said, okay, well, where are you going to go? And he says, well, I'm going back to the Philippines. I'm going to start a business there. And I'm like, well, what do I do? He said, well, I got my uh, pickup truck. I got my phone. I'm going to give it to you. And you continue my, uh, you continue with my clients. I just have one piece of advice for you. And I said, okay, what's that? And he goes, if you can fix, if you think you can fix the car, accept the work. If they ask you to fix a car and you don't understand what's going on and you don't think you can fix it, don't fix it because you're going to piss some people off. And I said, okay. And, and that was it. And um, I did my first brake job and, and it took me a week <laughs> to do it. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, uh, there's something I didn't know, I didn't understand. And, uh, and it took me a week to figure it out. So that was kind of like my start. So you guys moved here, you established life here and family and you know assimilated to the culture, things like that. You've got a clear path. You want to work on cars. You're seeing that in the States, it's a much more respected career path. But then your dad kind of drops this bomb on you that he's going back. Why did he not want to continue his business here? Why did he want to go back to the Philippines? Well, one, number one is the divorce, right? They're separating. He thought that there's a bigger opportunity for him there. And um, that's what he wanted to do. And he left. What was that like for you? I mean, how old were you when he left? So I was around like 17, 18 years old. Wow. So you were still living at home? Yes. Yes. I was tough, man. Um it's something that's emotional for me that I carried over the years for a long time. It's something that I would never do to my own kids. 
now that I have four kids, I wouldn't want them to feel what I felt at that time. And it's not, it's not just me, right? It's, I have three brothers. I have two younger brothers. I have one older brother. And um, yeah, we struggled with all of that. And when he left, we, it was my mom and my brothers, and we had to figure stuff out. Because one of the conditions was, you know, he didn't, he didn't really want to do anything with the family. And I'm not trying to make my dad sound bad, because years later on, we were connected and we, we have a good relationship. But it's the, how the dice rolled at that time. He didn't really want anything to do with the family, and um, he just left. And so me, my brothers, my mom were kind of left to, to figure stuff out on our own. My two brothers that were younger than me were still in school. One was in high school, one was in grade school. And then I had an older brother that was in college for art, for graphic design. So it was tough, man. So I was kind of like the person that was left to, you got to make sure this business works, right? You got to make sure that this turns out okay, because this, this is what pays the mortgage. This is what pays the bills. It was tough, to say the least. Wow. So you were actually through the business taking over the responsibility of your dad of actually supporting the, the family unit that was left financially. For sure. Absolutely. Wow. Did that feel like tremendous pressure? Was it something you felt like, oh, I can do this? Like when everything was handed over, what was that like for you? Tremendous anxiety and stress, I would say, but also drive to push through because that was the only way, that was the only option, right? To be successful, to make money, to do good by my family. And there's no other way. And the other way would be quitting, right? And not supporting the family and doing things on my own. I would ensure that would have turned out okay either, right? So the logical thing to do, the right thing to do is support the family. And that was the main drive. And I think if it wasn't for that drive, I don't think I would be as successful as I would be today. Yeah, it's amazing how the things in our early life, the traumas and losses, they shape us and it can either shape you in a good way or it can shape you in a bad way. And sometimes it shapes you in a bad way first and you got to make it in a good way. That's a journey, man. That's a big blow you took very early. And then on top of that, having that weight and that responsibility, that's a lot for a 17 year old because 17, you're, you don't really have a whole lot of stuff together at that point. I don't know. Uh, I, I certainly didn't. So the fact that you took that on says a lot about your character and the way that you were raised. So everything's handed over. You're the man of the house trying to earn the money, pay the bills. What did that look like? When I started doing the house to house, we actually found a spot that's one of my clients' garages. It wasn't even an actual shop. It was it was a detached garage from his business. And I rented that place for $700 a month. And uh, we couldn't get zoning. That place wasn't zoned for automotive repair. So we couldn't get a permit from the city for it, right? And you know how hard getting zoning is. It's super hard. We have to have tons of money. You got to be friends with the mayor and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you have to know people. Especially in Chicago. Yeah, you have to know people, right? And um, we were nobody. We we had no money. And if you go through the regular channels, good luck with that, right? And um, so I didn't have any other choice at that time. I said, okay, we're just going to operate out of here and we're going to keep it on the down low and Instead of me driving to people's homes and fixing the cars, I had them bring the cars to me. And that made me more efficient. I could fix more cars. So it was a two-bay shop and um, behind another business. So there's no signage, nothing. And I would just tell people to drive around back. You know, they'll see the cars. and That's where I'm at. And we were there for almost two years. And that spot being not zoned, eventually the uh, the city found out. <laughs> Right. And uh, when they found out, 
I came in the one day and there was a sticker in the door that says, you know, we saw that there's vehicles here. It looks like there's, you know, not verbatim, but basically they're telling us there's a, they, there's a business there and they put a schedule on when they're going to come in and uh, inspect the building. Right. And that's when I freaked out. I'm like, oh my God, you know, like the city's going to come down here and I'm going to get in trouble. And this is crazy. And so it scared me. Right. And I, I booked it out of there as fast as I could. Right. So I took all the tools, I put it back in the pickup truck. Right. I took whatever I can and uh, put it in a U Haul, move everything back home. My mom at that time was like, hey, what's the plan? What are you going to do? And we were driving to church one day. And my mom's like, so what's the plan? What are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I think I'm just going to go back to the, the pickup and do mobile service until we save enough money to find an actual place. And that might take years. And my mom's like, well, if you're going to do that, you might just end up like your dad doing this for a long time. And I said, man, I don't really want to, I don't really want to end up like my dad. And um, she said, Tristan, find a spot, find a shop, a real shop. Tell me how much it's going to cost. We'll figure it out. Okay. And I said, well, we don't have any money. He said, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. So on the way home, we were just driving by our town and we didn't even notice there's a shop in this strip mall next to a gas station. And we were like, Hey, that's the first for lease sign over there. So we called me and her called the, um, the landlord and they said, yes, it's vacant. We found out how much the rent was. It was going to cost like 3,500 or 3,700 a month. And we need a, a deposit in the first month's rent. So we needed about close to $8,000 to get into this place. So I said, mom, we need $8,000. And she's like, okay, well, let me see what I can do. So um, a couple of days later, she came back and says, I think I can get it. And I said, okay, great. And, and she said, Tristan, if we do this, just promise me one thing. And I said, what's that? Don't ever give up. And I said, okay, I won't. There's a lot of weight in that, right? And in, in what she said, because I knew what, what was at stake, right? I knew that we didn't really have a lot of money. I knew that we were supporting, me and her basically supporting the whole family, right? Mortgage, like my brothers. And wherever she's getting this money from, I knew that it's not easy. You didn't grow in trees, right? It's coming from somewhere. And um, so there's a lot of weight in that. And I took that seriously. So when we opened the shop, it was good. It was busy. We had cars out the door. You know, it seemed like it was blowing out the seams. My customers loved me, right? We we're fixing cars, right? And, but we're not making money. I still remember the days where my mom would come to me and says, hey, Tristan, I'm going to add $3,000 into your bank account so we can get through payroll. And the following month, she's like, hey, Tristan, I'm going to add a couple more thousand just to keep up with the expenses. And it was kind of like that on a month-to-month basis. And I was just reassuring her that everything's going to be okay. I said, mom, everything's going to be fine. It's going to turn around. We're going to start making money. It will be fine. And it took about a year. And that's when she said to me, hey, Tristan, just so you know, I'm, I'm in I have $115,000 in credit card debt. So what had been happening was she has been cash advancing from her credit cards month to month, the first month's rent, the deposit, and then over time, month to month, and we're short in cash and she would just cash advance from her credit cards. We would pay bills with uh, like parts bills with her credit cards and so on, right? So it kind of accumulated pretty quickly. And that's when she's like, man, I, I think this is not good. It's not going in the direction we want it to go. Um, you know, we got to figure this stuff out. That's when she came to me and said, hey, I'm in. I'm in $115,000 in debt. What do we do? I think you should get a job um, and help me pay this off. Let's close the shutdown. That's 
when I had to really figure stuff out because that was, that was like, for me, that was like failure, right? Like this is it. I failed. I tried and I failed. And that's when I start to ask a lot of questions to myself, why I failed or why am I failing and what's wrong here? What am I missing? And what was missing was one big thing, right? Because I already know how to fix cars, right? I was really good at that. We have customers. Our customers love us, our service, but how come we're not making money? That was just like, why are we not making money? If, if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a chef and I'm a really great cook and my food is so good and my, my customers love my food, I should be successful, right? And so I'm thinking if I'm a technician and I'm good at fixing cars and my customers love me, I should be, I should be successful, but that's not the case here. And digging deeper and being self-aware of what was going on, I figured out that I don't know anything about business. I don't know anything about management. I don't know anything about financials, let alone an automotive business, right? I have no basic idea of how a business should work. And I don't know the intricacies and complexities of the automotive business. So that's what I needed to learn. And so that's what I started to, to look for. Um, it started with Googling something automotive management. And at that time, there was this website. I don't know if it's still up there, but it's called uh, Automotive Management Institute. And what it was, was it's just a website that sells automotive management books. And one of the books I bought was called um, Making Dollars uh, with Cents, right? And it was written by a shop owner uh, named Mitch Schneider. He's OG, man. He's super OG. Um, super good guy. And I was actually able to meet him at a Ratchet and Wrench conference and shake his hand and thank him for writing that book because man, that changed my, that's changed my whole perspective about the industry. Right. My thought process of a, of a shop owner is the guy that's fixing the car, you know, you know, you got the mechanic shirt on the owner, the technician, he's everything. He's the hero of that business. Right. But after reading that books, like, man, there's so much, so much stuff here that I needed to learn that I actually need I felt like I needed to have like a, some type of an MBA to run a shop, right? Because he was talking about price matrices. He was talking about gross profit, net profit, you know, and, and all this other lingo that I've never heard before, you know, all these KPIs and things like that. And I'm like, wow, this is what's missing. It was like a light bulb. It's like, this is what's missing. I need to learn this stuff. How do I get more of this stuff? So he wrote a series of eight books. I ended up buying all of the eight books. And I still have them today. They're highlighted. There's notes on them. And I go through it every day. And it improved my business, right? I was able, able to help pay uh, my mom's um, credit card debt or our credit card debt. And uh, we start to become profitable, right? And yeah, that was quite a journey in the beginning. It was, it was really emotional, but also eye-opening and, and rewarding in a sense, looking back. I'm curious, when you weren't making money, did you know you weren't making money or, and then it was like a huge shock when your mom was like, Hey, we, we've got over a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Like, how did you come to the realization that things weren't working well? Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust Leads Near Me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google certified partners, they know how to make a top ranking website from an insider's perspective. 
Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. I knew we weren't making money because I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> That's a good indicator, right? <laughs> there was no P&Ls. There was no balance sheets. We weren't looking at that. We hired an accountant and the, our accountant that we hired down the street didn't really know the automotive business. All, all he was doing was like giving us paperwork on what taxes we need to pay. And at that time, it felt like a lot. Like, wow, this is all going back to the government? Like, this is a lot, <laughs> you know? And we, I knew that we were not making money. I already knew that. And I just had this hope in, in the back of my head that it will, we will, you know, and just being that, that having that self confidence, I, I would say that I will make it. And, and knowing myself that I would do anything to be successful. I would do anything to make this work because not, not for the cloud or for my ego, but because it was, it was our livelihood. That's how we were going to survive. Right. Um, that's how we're going to eat. That's how we're going to pay our mortgage. That's how we're going to get along and, and make sure my, my brothers goes through school and finish school and pay for college and all these things. Right. And they weren't even in college. They were already thinking about it. So it, it was just having that positive mindset of self-reassurance or self-confidence that, you know, what, I'm going to go through hell, but I'm okay with it because I know after this is going to be good times or there's going to be some relief in the end at some point. So I was just kind of holding on to that. Well, and I think too, I mean, your mom gave you that statement of, you know, promise me you're not going to give up. And I'm sure that was in the back of your head as well. And, you know, something you said really just struck a chord with me. You know, you were talking about, hey, I, I can fix cars really well. And we have customers that love us and, and we have a location and we're busy, but we're not making money. I, it breaks my heart when I talk to shop owners who are in these earlier stages and you know, you would think that if you can just fix a car really, really well, that you're going to make money. And unfortunately, that's not the case. You can be bad at fixing cars and be really good at money and make money. It's not going to be sustainable, but you can do it. And so, you know, if you're listening and you're like, well, I, I can fix cars. I don't know what's wrong or it's my customer or whatever. What Tristan's saying is gold because when you have that moment of honesty with yourself and you're really willing to just look at the big picture and stand back you know, that's when you have those moments of realizing what's working and what's not. And I love the fact that then you start looking for resources and man, Mitch is such a good resource, man. He's, he's an amazing guy and, and he's helped so many owners. And Mitch, if you ever end up listening to this episode, I don't even know if you listen to podcasts, thank you for everything that you've done for our industry and, and helping so many people. So Tristan, you, you know, you're reading these books, you're now finally starting to understand some of these concepts and really how to be a better business owner. Walk us through how the business started changing. What did it look like to pay things off? You know, walk us through the next phase of the shop. After that, right? So we started making money, start to pay, pay my mom's credit cards off and, and actually start taking salary. And I was making, I think probably $60,000 a year. And I thought I was killing it. Like, man, like I'm killing it. And you know, I'm 23 years old and making $60,000 a year. Life is good, right? But I didn't really know the extent of where I can take this because that was my goal, just to be comfortable, right? <laughs> to have a business, a respectable business and uh, do something that I love, take care of my customers, fix cars, be, and be in the shop. And I thought that was it. Making $60,000 a year is, is what it was. And so I went to a conference in Chicago called Auto Mechanica and there was a speaker there that I met. Uh, his name's Greg Sands. 
And he spoke about multiple locations and how that created a uh, business for him where uh, he was profitable. He owned the real estate um, and eventually sold it to a big corporation. And, and after like, I don't know, 20 locations or 25 locations, I can't remember exactly the numbers, but it was, it was a lot of locations. And hearing him speak there, man, it inspired me because at that point, all I thought was one location, squeeze out the most out of this thing, do this for 50 years, 40 years or whatever, and retire. Right. Um, and hearing this guy speak, having multiple locations, selling it to a bigger company down the road and owning the real estate, it just like created this thing in my mind, like blew my mind. Right. Like I can do that. Like this, I thought automotive industry, you can only make so much. I didn't know you can make unlimited amounts of money or you could, you could take this to other, other industries like real estate. Right. And so that was kind of like, the next phase in that journey. How do I get to that point now? How do I take myself from this one location, just making a little bit of money to multiple locations, right? And that created kind of like that blueprint. And that was a struggle actually to, to start because now you create a bigger goal, right? And you create a bigger goal, now you have to work, <laughs> right? Now you have to have the right people in place. Now you have to have the system in place. And that was the next challenge was how do I figure this out? How do I get from A to B, right? And I started looking for more help because at this time, I already knew that I'm not the smartest guy in the room and I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room, right? I want to learn from the smart guys in the room. So again, I started going to more conferences. I started getting more involved in the Automotive Service Association and Bratchett and Wrench Conference, right? And that's where I met a lot of the guys that I consider really good friends now. Right. That's where I met you. So I think it's where I met uh, Mr. Aaron Stokes. That's where I met a lot of the guys in our group that I rely on for support and for information and guidance. Right. And um, that, that was the next step to that. I think sometimes when we get this revelation of the next level and we recognize how much bigger things can be, sometimes the people around us that have walked with us through our journey it almost can scare them or, you know, there's this point where they can't see that vision and they almost see your vision as reckless. I'm curious if, you know, maybe your mom or anyone around you is like, Hey dude, we got a good thing going. We don't need to shoot for the stars. Did you have any of that? Of course. Absolutely. It came from friends, came from, from family. My mom got scared about that too. Employees, right? My employees thought I was crazy. And I talked about that with my employees, like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, super excited about it. You know, showing them the photo of Greg Sands in Ratchet and Wrench magazine. Like, this is the guy we need to copy. And they're like, yeah, that's a, that's a pipe dream. They didn't really believe me. And after a year of like talking about it, one of my employees came to me. He's like, hey, so where's that next shop? And I'm like, I'm working on it. You know, and, um, and that was kind of like, that's where I felt like that my own guys didn't believe in me. Right. That my own my own employees didn't believe in my own vision. And Greg says something that uh, really resonated with me, because at that time it, it was personal. When someone doesn't believe your dream and it's your own employees or the people you trust, it's, it's very personal. You take it to heart. Right. You take it like maybe you start questioning yourself. Maybe maybe they're right. Maybe I'm not good enough to do this. Maybe I'm going to fail. Maybe this is not the right path. Right. You start questioning your own your own self when people don't believe you or say something negative of what you're thinking or what you're doing. 
But Craig Sand said something on stage one day that uh, that really resonated with me. Was he said that the people that are going to get you from one level are not the same people that are going to get you to the next. And I'm like, man, that's probably my employees. <laughs> so you know, and I had to really think about that. And there are employees that quit. They just quit. They didn't support me. I didn't believe in, in, in the vision or maybe they're expecting it to be like, it's going to happen right away. And it didn't, they lost confidence in that and they quit, but eventually we made it. Right. And I can tell you right now that one of the reasons we made it from one location to the next, it's not the systems, right? Cause the system's already there. We already know the systems. Um, we know the strategies. We know all that, right? We know the tactical stuff that we need to do to get us to the next level. It was the people that prevented us from getting to that next level. When we start hiring people that also believe that vision and also wanted that vision to happen, things start to go in the right direction, right? So sales start going up, we're making a lot more money. And that allowed me to step out of my role in the shop to open more shops. Because if those people that I hired didn't believe in the dream or didn't want to do the work or didn't have the right skill, to run the shop or manage the shop, I want to be able to open another one, the next one and the next one and so on. So that's one of the, I think the key things is having the right people in place and having, having those people with the right mindset and people who believe in the vision as well. And that's something it's really hard to control because you have people that have ears hearing from other people, you know, and their own families, right? Um, Maybe their, their spouse would say, hey, Tristan's going to do this. Tristan's going to do that. We can be part of something big. And maybe their dad or someone close to them says, yeah, that's really hard to do. I heard someone, some guy tried to do that in the past. It didn't really work out. You shouldn't believe in that person. You shouldn't put too much effort into this. And sometimes it's all it takes to hear from someone they, they respect and trust. And, and they take that as gospel. And um, that kills the dream for them. And it sucks. But having the right people in place is key, number one. Number two is having the right network of people to learn from and to get advice from. And I knew at that time I needed coaching too. So that's one of the things that I really wanted to find was to find a coaching company that that's, has multiple locations, that knows how to coach multiple locations. And uh, I did join one coaching company, but it, I didn't see a lot of growth in that company uh, for me as a shop owner. And it was a slow process until I joined uh, shop fix. I met, uh, met you, met Aaron Stokes in, uh, in Ratchet and Wrench. And eventually I joined. It took me a couple months to join, but I eventually I joined. And I think one of the best times I had was with, with you and Aaron in the car and we were visiting shops in Chicago. I don't know if you remember that. Dude, that was amazing. It was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was so eye-opening for me too, to see all the shops in one day. I mean, I don't know how many shops we visited. I think we visited 10 or something. It was crazy. It's a lot. But yeah, so um, so people is very important. You know, having the right people in the shop and having the right mindset, having the right mentor or um, coaching company, right, to get advice from. And if someone who doesn't want to join a coaching company, make sure you have mentors that has been there, done that, right? Don't get mentors that gives you advice on something that you haven't achieved yet. Right. So one of the things I liked about Aaron Stokes or ShopFix is Aaron Stokes at that time had multiple locations and still do. And they have more now. But at that time, I think he had five or six locations and he was still involved in the business. And then that's the coach I want. Someone's in the battlefield doing this right now who can teach me going through the same struggles 
and that's what I needed. It sounds like you've really had like three phases of development. You had, you started out, didn't know what you were doing. You were good at fixing cars. Things were okay, but you weren't making money. And then you started this path of personal development and you were building yourself and trying to find the right people to surround yourself. And then there's this arc to your story where now you almost were in this, you know, fork in the road. You could keep doing what you were doing, making 60K a year, which for 23 is pretty darn good. I certainly wasn't making that at 23. That would have been an okay life. But because of the people you surrounded yourself with and the development you did, you realize there was more. And then what's, I think, where most people have that path, that choosing is when now they have the people that they've walked with and the people that are saying, hey, there's a lot more. And you chose to persevere through that. I would like to know, you know, when you were in that fork in the road and your mom, your friends, your employees, everyone was scared because they're like, they couldn't see the vision. All they heard was Tristan went to this conference. He heard all these people. He's reading all these books and he's, he thinks he's going to be some multimillionaire when there was just no grid for them to know that. How did you help them get to the point you were at? I think it was the proof. My mom started coming around that idea when we start like doubling our numbers or start seeing real, really good money out of our own single locations. And when we opened the second store and how the second store grew and now in the third store and now the third store grew, right? When people start seeing the successes, the little, the little achievements, the little successes, then it starts to, to look like it's possible, right? Like, oh, wow. Like, looks like it's going to happen. Looks like it's possible. I have people up to this day in my company that are, they're seeing that they're benefiting from that. I mean, we have technicians making over hundred K now, right? Um, I probably have a technician going to make 160 K this. That's pretty good, on man. A three, on a three bay shop, you know, like <laughs> it's, I never made that money when I was wrenching. And that's the thing. And people that have stayed on saw the growth, saw the changes. And I think they stayed on even longer because of that. My mom started believing on the successes that little successes that we have. And, and that was great. That was great to see that like, oh man, like it's happening. It's actually happening. What he's what I said a few years back is actually happening. And the people that, that didn't believe me left and, and they've never seen this. Right? And I wish they, they would have, you know, because it's quite a hard journey. I wouldn't say it's easy. It's hard. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of, there's a lot of that, right? A lot of struggles. But through all those struggles, something came out really great out of that. And now we're in this phase where like, okay, we got three stores. We need to get to 10 stores. How do we do that? Right. And now it's a bigger goal, right? Now we need district managers. We need regional managers. We need different kinds of systems. And I feel like we're going into that phase now in our company. That's scary for a lot of the people in the company as well, because like, man, we're, we're maybe we're growing too fast. Maybe we're growing, going in a different direction. It's going to change a lot, but I know in my heart with what I know now from what I know, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago, we can do it. It's not rocket science. Like they say, it's not rocket science. It just takes a little bit of grit, a little bit of help from smarter people than I am. And, um, and we will get there. So, but yeah, it's a totally a, um, a hard for me to see people in my company believed in me and no longer believed in me in, in some point. And it's, uh, that's okay. I, I made peace with that. And I made peace with that because of what 
and what helped was what Greg said, said and I'll repeat it, is what got you here or the people that got you here is probably not the people that are going to get you to the next level. So if you're a shop that was doing $500,000 a year, you have a group set group of people. But maybe if those people don't grow with you, they're not, they're not the same people that are going to get you to a million dollars a year in revenue or $2 million a year, $3 million and so on, right? The, the team has to grow with the company. And if the team doesn't grow with the company, you know, then you're now you're stuck at that level and to grow even more, you need to find the people who can get you there. Wow. You have developed so much insight. You have grown your vision. You have really helped build a team and weed people out that aren't the right fit. Sometimes they weed themselves out and, and you're, you're slated for big things. I'm curious. I, I know that you mentioned earlier that you, you really had some reconciliation with your dad. Does he know how successful you are right now? What was that like? Because I wonder if that was kind of a, a weird thing for you guys to go through, considering that I don't think he probably had that vision of what was possible. It's a tough relationship. My dad is the person that's uh, grew up with tough love, right? And the way he raised me and my brothers was with tough love as well. And I totally get that. Before when I was younger, I didn't. I hated it. I hated the discipline. I hated, you know, the the relationship there. It wasn't truly a loving relationship because I don't know if this is true. Maybe it's just my upbringing, but Asian culture feels like is not the type of culture that would say, I love you, right? To your kids, more like a tougher, <laughs> tougher in a sense where um, we don't show the kind of emotion to our kids, right? I do now, right? Uh, now that I have my own kids. And, um, when I went to the Philippines for a vacation, I went to visit my grandfather. And on the way to visiting my grandfather in the vehicle, I was with my uncle. And we were just talking and I asked him, how was my grandfather like when they were younger? And my uncle told me that, oh man, your, your grandfather was tough. He would beat up your, your dad and your, your other uncles. And by the way, this uncle is a cousin of my dad. And my uncle was like, he even beat me up and I'm not even his son, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm like, that's tough, you know. This wasn't a big thing back in the day, or not a lot of people knew about PTSD back in the day, right? And they just called war shocked, right? That's what they call those soldiers that came from the war, and they call them war shocked, you know, they're shocked by the war, like culture shock. But um, and that's what it was. And um, he was tough on his kids, and it was tough on my dad especially. And my uncle was telling me all these stories, which is really like crazy, and to hear about all these stories. And now I understand why my dad is the way he is. And in contrast, my dad was a milder version of my grandfather, right? He was a way wild, a milder version of that, which I'm thankful for because it's from one generation to the next getting better and better, right? And now in my generation, my kids, I'm super loving to my kids. I tell them I love you all the time. I hug them, I kiss them, and I'm very involved in their lives. And that's the trajectory of these things. It's better year over year. I mean, year over year or generation from generation, right? And so I, I really understand where my dad was coming from now. And there was a time I went to a conference. I realized that I've been carrying this baggage about me and my dad's relationship, right? And at this point, I haven't talked to my dad in like five years. And because of this conference, I was like, man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him. I'm going to reconnect with him. So I called him. Um, it's probably like 11 at night. I called him up and I got the voicemail. And I left him a long message really heartfelt message, apologized, said, I'm sorry, and this and that. And I want to reconnect with him and stuff. Right. And 
I cried on the phone and I hung up and, and I felt good about myself because that's, that was like something I've been carrying all these years. And I, I kind of let it all out in that voicemail. The next day, I was hoping to see a missed call or another voicemail from my dad, a voicemail from my dad. When I woke up, I didn't really see anything, right? I kind of started getting a little bit irritated. Like, man, I just left this whole monologue to my father, this whole thing, and I, I didn't even get a, um, a response for it. During lunchtime, I saw my phone, there was a missed call and a message, right? So I played the voicemail and it just went something like this. You can hear the, uh, the crackling on this other side of the phone and he goes, hey, it's your dad. That's it. That's all he said. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck? You know, like, what kind of response is that? Right? Like, I love this whole, I love this whole thing. You know, probably like a two minute, three minute message, you know, heartfelt. And I was crying and that's all I got from it. And I start to get angry and irritated. But the person I was sitting next to in lunchtime, I kind of vented out to him. And he goes, well, you know, Tristan, it must, it, it, you, you never know, but it, it's probably a really hard thing for him to even give you a call back. That's got to mean something, right? And I'm like, I don't know. And it's like, you should call him back. And I said, you're probably right. So I stepped out in the stairwell, this building, and I called him. And he picked up. And we talked for a bit. He said to me, hey, I'm so sorry about what happened between me and your mother. I didn't know it affected you that way or your brothers that way. At the time, I was just trying to do what I thought was right. I want you to know that you will always be my son and I'll always love you and I'll always be here for you. And man, that took a lot of weight. The remaining weight on my shoulders, just, it was gone. And that's what I wanted to hear. It's really all I wanted to hear. And when, when all of that was gone, the skies were clear. The vision was clear. I really know now what I really need to do. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we don't put a lot of attention to is a lot of our successes, a lot of our growth. It's not coming from another piece of information on how to do this and how to do that. We have to look at what's hindering us from taking action. We have to look at what's hindering us because of fear or because of baggage that we have in the past. And if we look a little bit more into that and take care of those things, I think the future is clear. The vision is clear. It's a lot easier to take those actions that we need to do. Right. And I think that was like one of the next things that, that really propelled me in creating those actions that I need to do and propelling my career, but also my personal life from going from one level to the next. And also my happiness. Oh my God. Like content happiness, you know, in that part of my life is, it, it was huge. That was, those are, that's huge. I'm really thankful for, for having the insight and the awareness. I'm thankful for God for giving me that opportunity to, to be able to experience and see that and have the humility to go deeper and see that I'm not always right. And to know that I need help. And by knowing that I'm not right and knowing that I, I need help. And by the way, these are, those are probably like the, the hardest thing to, to say for any man or woman is to say that you're wrong and to say that you're weak. But by, by saying that, by knowing that, it gives you an access to now find the help that you need, right? And to reflect on not being right and being able to find ways to be right in other people's eyes, right? And to hold yourself accountable and have integrity in your life to get things done. So those are probably the, the biggest thing that I got out of that is um, my father, my relationship with him was, it was a tough one, but it also gave me the insight to be better. 
And by not having that weight on my shoulders, just it was just a lot easier. And there are other things that happened in my life that I that I that I'm self-aware of now that that also propelled me. And it's just the crazy thing about self-development too is there's a lot of traumas that as we grow up, we go through a lot of things, you know, traumas and either it's a relationship with a parent or or a relationship with friends or just things that happen to you and they're negative and bad and we put stories behind it and we put weight behind it and we go through life carrying those baggages and we wonder why we can't be like all of these other people why we wonder why we can't have what other people have i think the key is going back to your past and figuring out what's stopping you because once you figure out what's stopping you anything is possible anything is possible at this point one of the big things is for example that if, for example, if I looked at Greg's hands and says, man, I heard that man talk. I want to be like him. I want to be just like him. 20 shops, 50 shops, whatever, you know, make all these millions. But then you have a baggage of you're not good enough. And that could come from whatever someone said to you when you were little or someone, somebody did to you or an event like mine where my father left. Right. I could say that all I want. I want to be like him. I want to be like I want to be like Greg Sands and have all the shops and stuff. But if in the back of my mind, subconsciously, I'm saying I'm not good enough, am I really going to take action? Because I don't believe it myself that I'm going to be there subconsciously. I'm not going to take that action. So the only way I'm going to take that action is if I truly believe that I can get there. Right. And one of the steps is to, to let go of, of past traumas and past baggages like that. And um, I know I, with my father, that was a big one. That's one of the biggest ones in, in my life. There's a lot more <laughs> that I had to, to work through, but that was one of the biggest ones for sure. And by the way, from that on, I told my dad on that phone call, I want to see you. I want you to see your grandkids. When is a good time to do this? And he said, anytime. So I called my three brothers and I said, hey, I talked to dad. We should go visit him. And I told him the story and, and, and what transpired. And all my brothers, like, they were like, dude, let's go. Let's go. I had a brother who moved from Chicago to California. And when I called him and told him this, he's like, man, I'm glad you called. The only reason I left Chicago is because I felt there was no more family there, that we didn't have a family, you know, that we're broken apart. And that's why I went to California. But you calling me is what I wanted to hear. So I'm going back to Chicago. Let's visit dad and I'm going to go back to Chicago. I'm going to start my own business. So, and he did. So he went to Chicago. We drove, I got in my, uh, in my Nissan Armada at that time and, and my whole family, just we drove straight from Chicago all the way to Savannah, Georgia, to visit my dad. He was living there at that time. And we spent some time with him. And um, it was great. It was great. So not only I reconnected with my dad, but also my, because, of, because of my reconnection with my father, also my brothers were able to. And also they were able to move on from their trauma with that as well. Interesting. I, I want to just honor you for your vulnerability in sharing the good parts of your story, the fun parts, and the really painful parts, the people in our lives that are really willing to be transparent and vulnerable and share the things that, that really shaped who they are, that's how we get breakthrough. And I love what you said about your family and, and them leveling up things like your breakthrough and you forgiving and really reconciling with your dad and getting that stuff off your shoulders and really choosing to move forward. That breakthrough now became your family's breakthrough. That breakthrough is becoming your employee's breakthrough and your community's breakthrough and your kid's breakthrough. And you're changing your family line. And that's, that's amazing, man. I, I'm so grateful that you took the time to share that with us. And I know it's going to help a lot of people. I have one more question. It's a very important question. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You're like waiting for this like deep question. Uh, 
<laughs> Everyone struggles with it. It's not a surprise. I ask it to everybody. Oh, man. But everyone's um, like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I would be a mini man. Wow. That's the first time I heard that one. <laughs> Tell us about that. Uh, okay. So let me impact it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the coolest thing, right? No one likes driving a minivan, but I actually bought a minivan a couple years ago. I sold it, but for different reasons, not because it's a minivan, but um, it symbolizes for me family. And that's what's important for me. And it's not just one person going to a destination, right? It's a group of people. And in that minivan, I want to be able to take everybody that I love, that I care about. That could be my employees, my, my wife, my kids, right? On this journey, whatever this journey is that this minivan is taking. I want them in there. I want them to be, I want, I want that minivan to be filled with laughter, with stories. I want that minivan to be filled with snacks. Got to have the snacks. Got to have the snacks, right? And, and just have a good trip. Really, I think if I would be a vehicle, that's what I'd be. I would be happy to be a minivan, to be able to serve the people who are in it, to get to to one place, to a destination. And that's what it is, right? I mean, we're always traveling. I mean, you could say physically or in a career or business, it's a travel. It's a journey. Then I don't mind how long it takes to get there. I don't don't need to get there um, tomorrow, right? I don't need to get there right away. I don't need to be a fast car. I don't want to get there fast. I just want to get there with the great people that I care about and, and enjoy the ride. I think that's one of my favorite answers to the question, man. That's beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Well, Tristan, again, thank you so much for your time today. This was a really fun interview. Hopefully we'll have you back on and talk about your 10 and 20 stores and all the other cool things you're going to do as you continue in this journey. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. That was my interview with Tristan Rillubet. I want this show to serve and impact as many people in our industry as possible. To help me in that mission, please subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and tell others about us. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at thomas at slcautopodcast.com or call 615-645-3683. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.